0: are listening to the podcast ministry of Portadown Independent Methodist Church. We welcome you and thank you for joining us. We trust that you are blessed by the ministry of God's Word today. continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel, and would invite you this morning to turn to 2 Samuel and chapter number 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, "'Whither shall I go up?' And he said, "'Unto Hebron.' So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelite, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah and they told David saying that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul and David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead and said unto them blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord even unto Saul and have buried him and now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you and I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore, now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim. And made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months." We'll end there at verse number 11. It is uh, one of the interesting things that happens to every generation that there are some things that our children uh, do not even hardly know that their parents were very familiar with when they were children. For example, if we were to show some of our children today a cassette tape, uh, they might not hardly even know what it's called and if we began to explain to them how it worked, you know, even uh, years ago when computers came out, if you wanted to like install something on it, you put a cassette tape into it and then you press play. Uh, then you went away for 15 minutes or whatever and then you came back and the program was installed. They would find that very hard to believe. If, if an app isn't responding within milliseconds, something seems wrong and the old way seems very, very slow. And we are used now that even if somebody like sends us a little video clip, there are so many things that we can do with it. If there is a little part of it that we really, really want to see clearly, we can put it into slow motion. And so the, the normal speed might seem too fast and we can put it into slow motion and we can see it frame by frame by frame just playing out as slowly as we want. And we can see everything and we miss nothing Or if if somebody sends us a video and there's a part of it we don't find very interesting, we can just skip through it to the very part that we do. And that's how now we are completely used to dealing with things. Oh, I like that. I want to see that more closely. Let me slow it down. Or, oh, that doesn't seem very interesting. Let me skip it. Let me just scrub over it and miss it altogether to get to the part that is interesting. And in all of this, we have got very, very used to enjoying this degree of control that we now have. If something is really interesting, we can dig in a little deeper. If something seems a little boring or we're not very interested, we can skip over it very quickly, kind of fast-forwarding over it. But when it comes to the actual living of our lives, the day-to-day unfolding of God's purposes in our lives, we don't have access to buttons that do this. We don't have access to buttons to fast forward if, if we don't like the little season that we're in, if, if we prefer not to be here. We, we don't have access to a button that says, can I kind of jump over this or fast forward through it no, we don't, we can't do that. And it can seem sometimes that, that when, in the way that God works in our lives, that God seems to nearly enjoy slow motion. God's ways are often slow. God's ways are often an awful lot slower than what ours would be if we could change them. There are seasons, there are things that if we could reach a fast forward button and press it, we would. But God's ways are slow and there we are caught, if you like, in the slowness of the way that God does things. And I think that is something that comes through very clearly in this passage this morning, that God's ways are often slow. Now, what we do notice here is that there is a significant step taken towards David becoming the king over Israel. There is progress here, that the cogs are turning, God's purposes are unfolding. The thing that amazes us is how slowly this is happening. If you have your Bible, turn back to 1 Samuel and chapter 16. 1 Samuel and chapter 16. And verse number 1. It says here, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So God has sent Samuel the prophet to the house of Jesse, and God says to Samuel, I have provided me a king Among his sons. So in 1 Samuel 16, God has provided himself with a king to replace Saul. When we get to verse 13 of that chapter, it says, and Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David is publicly amongst his family anointed to be the next king over Israel. So David knows this. His family knows this. It soon spreads that, that many people throughout Israel, including Saul, they all know this. But that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And by the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 2, that was a long time ago. So God has chosen David. God has anointed David to be the next king over Israel. But it takes an awful, awful long time before David is making progress to actually be the king who rules over the nation. Years pass between this anointing and David actually assuming the throne. I think that we all perhaps can have very deeply held notions that if God is in something, then it will work smoothly and it will work quickly. If God is in something, then it will go smoothly and it will happen quickly. But that's not what happens here. Those years between 1 Samuel 16 and now have been the opposite of smooth for David. David has been hunted, he has been hounded, he has been harassed by Saul. David has been hiding quite literally in a cave. David has left Israel and and gone into Ziklag in Philistia to escape the terrors that Saul was inflicting upon him. So so God had chosen David, 1 Samuel 16, but, but there are years that pass that are very, very difficult before we really see any meaningful progress and David actually ascending to the throne. And I'm sure that if we could have spoken to David in, in those intervening years, we would have found David wondering, what is this all about? Why do the cogs of God's purposes turn so slowly? He might even have wondered, is God actually in this at all? Was was Samuel wrong whenever he anointed me to be king? Because if if God was in that, then why all of this difficulty? And why the slowness of the progress that God seems to be making? There is often a slowness in how God works out his promises. There is often a slowness between the promise being given and it being fulfilled. And even here, by the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 2, if we thought that maybe Saul's death, maybe it was Saul that was kind of putting the handbrake on the purposes of God. And and now that Saul has died, the handbrake will come off and things will happen quickly. But again, we would be wrong. As we'll see in a moment, David's leadership is here initially only recognized by his own tribe and the other 11 tribes don't recognize him and this isn't short-lived either. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11, it says the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. If we were expecting that now that Saul has died and David is beginning to be recognized, if we're expecting suddenly enemies to be subdued and palaces to be built overnight and peace to prevail in the day, we would be very wrong. For seven and a half years after Saul's death, David still isn't ruling over all of Israel. The sun rises and sets on David over 2,700 times before he will be recognized across the nation even after Saul's death. And that is a long time. And I think that many of us at some point in our Christian life, we struggle to some extent. Why do the cogs turn so slowly? Why does God seem to operate so slowly? We think if God was in something, it would happen smoothly and it would happen quickly. And yet here is David and he waits years after 1 Samuel 16 before Saul even dies. And after Saul dies, there is still this long period where David isn't actually ruling as king over all of the nation. God's purposes unfold often slowly. And I think that we need, in a sense, to steep ourselves in this teaching here of uh, the book of Samuel. For the Bible often speaks of our need of patience. God's ways are higher than our ways. His unfolding purposes are often slower than we would like. And therefore, the Bible reminds us of our need for patience. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, it says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them that through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 10.36, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise." Hebrews 12 verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so this morning you might have a promise that you have been pleading for days and for weeks and for months and for years and at times in the midst of that you struggle with the slowness why does god unfold his purposes sometimes so slowly We might think is, is there is have i put the handbrake on and yet here we find That David was anointed God's choice to be king. And then years and years and years, difficult years pass. And then Saul dies and there is a little bit of progress. But there are still years and years and years as the cogs of God's working out seem to grind very, very slowly. Not only do we see the slowness sometimes, but it is the smallness of the progress. Look at how this chapter begins. It came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? So Saul has died, David has grieved, and now David inquires, is it time for me to go back to Judah? David had been living in Ziklag to escape from Saul, and here is David seeking God. And he says, God, shall I return? And God says, yes. And David asks, exactly then, where should I go? And God responds, onto Hebron. So we do notice here God is in control, God is guiding, David isn't putting the handbrake on now through a failure to seek God or through some lack of faith or through some disobedience and we do see that there is some progress being made. As we see here, David returns to Israel. He returns with all of his family in verse 2. Verse 3 tells us, And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So all of David's family and all of his men and all of their families are now moving back into Israel. And we notice the progress. David is, is at least now back in his country And yet, even though there is progress, and we can see there is the turning of a page here, David has moved back into Israel. That makes sense to us. If he's going to be the king that rules over the nation, there is progress. But then look at what we read in verse 4 the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah and they told David saying that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that buried Saul. So at this point David's visible rule begins over Israel and that is monumentally significant. This is David that will rise to be the greatest king in the Old Testament over Israel And his visible rule is here beginning. It it is progress. It, It is in some ways a monumental step historically. But even now it is the smallness of the progress that we notice. It is the men of Judah who anoint David over their house or over their tribe. One tribe out of 12 tribes recognizes David as their rightful king. There are 11 of the tribes that still reject him and do not own him as their rightful leader. So what we find here is that for a period of seven and a half years, For a period of seven and a half years, David is ruling over one tribe, and there are still 11 that reject his rule and his authority. In other words, even now, when we see that progress is being made, the progress to us seems pitifully small. Why, God, did you not just work it out that David returned to Israel and there was a grand coronation and everybody recognized David's leadership? Why have it that it begins so small? Saul has died and now David is back in Israel and yet we see this progress and we recognize how small it is. And sometimes in our Christian life, is it not fair to say that we wonder at the smallness of the progress that we really see? Is it not fair to say that the slowness with which God works sometimes amazes us and we think, God, why do you not work quicker? And at other times, it is the smallness of the progress. There is like a baby step of progress that is made. And I think we need to steep ourselves in this also that here God chooses not only to work slowly, but to begin in a small way. When we get to Matthew 13 and verse 31, the Lord Jesus will liken the kingdom of God to a mustard seed Something that they would have recognized as being so small. We speak maybe of something being as small as a pea. And and they would have spoken of something as small as a mustard seed. And and had these proverbial sayings. If you wanted to show how small, how insignificant something was, liken it to a mustard seed. And Jesus likens the kingdom of God to this. He was saying that it was very possible for people to miss the greatness of what God was doing because of the smallness of how it began. He says it's like a mustard seed. People don't. People see the smallness of the beginning of the kingdom in the New Testament and they think, well, there can't be much come of that and how wrong they were. But God chose to begin in a small way. And Jesus was reminding him the smallness of how something begins has nothing to do with the size with which it ends. A little mustard seed so small grows into something big. But there are times that God in his providence and in his wisdom begins something in such a small way that it is easy for people to dismiss it and so it is here with David. We wonder at the smallness of the progress that is even here. Not only do we have to recognize that here but we're reminded in Zechariah 4.10 that we are not to despise, despise the day of small things. God can do a small thing that begins small and ends up something far more significant and consequential than anybody could ever have imagined. And so as we study the smallness of the progress in this chapter, we're reminded just because it begins small doesn't mean that it ends small. But here I think we find ourselves confronted with how God often works in a way that is slow and in a way that begins small very small. Not only does David have to deal with the slowness of the progress and the smallness of the progress, but there is this ongoing struggle. Look at what it says here in verse eight. It says that Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over. So Abner was the captain of Saul's army. Abner was loyal to Saul, and now that Saul has died, Abner appoints Ishbosheth as Saul's successor. And so here there are 11 of the tribes. That have ish ruling over them and they are rejecting, they are refusing to submit and to acknowledge God's anointed. There is a rival kingdom and the hostility and the opposition and the war that David must have hoped was over with Saul's demise is far from over. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. It said there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So the demise of Saul and David must have thought, maybe this is it. Maybe things will happen fast and maybe they will happen big and maybe they will happen smooth. And yet he finds that the ways of God here are slow and they are small and there is an ongoing struggle. Saul's son becomes the leader of these other tribes that refuse to submit. And there is war and there is conflict for a long time, we read. Keel in his commentary writes the promotion of Ishbosheth as king was not only a continuation of the hostility of Saul towards David, but also an act of rebellion against Jehovah, who had rejected Saul and chosen David, and who had given such distinct proofs of this in the eyes of the whole nation that even Saul had been convinced of the appointment of David to be his successor. And so David here must at times have sat and wondered, is God really in this? Am I really the chosen one of God to be the king? Is God's hand really upon me? Is God's fever resting on me when things happen so slow, so small, and it is such a struggle? Even the great John Knox, the Scottish reformer, at one point, he poured out his heart in despair and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and put an end to thy, at thy good pleasure to this my miserable life. For justice and truth are not to be found amongst the children of men. That was years before he died. John Knox is saying, God, it just seems to me that, 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 that the whole world, is, there's such a struggle and that right seems to not be prevailing. And he says, at thy good pleasure, take this miserable life away. Even a great man like John Knox can struggle with the slowness and the smallness and the struggle of God's purposes and God's plans. And you might be there this morning in some way, shape, or form finding yourself discouraged by the slowness, there is a promise and you are believing it, but there is a slowness and then there is a progress and it is so small and there is a struggle that you begin to wonder, is God in all of this at all? What I think we have to especially notice here is that God sends David in this season of waiting, if you like, to a very special place He sends him to Hebron. That is where God sends David. God says, God knows there's going to be a period of waiting. David's going to have probably all of these thoughts. And, And God says, do your waiting at this place called Hebron. It was there back in Genesis 18 that the Lord appeared unto Abraham. It was there that Abraham had buried Sarah. It was there that Abraham was buried, later Isaac was buried, and Jacob was buried. All of these people were buried right there at Hebron, and David would have been well aware of this. And what a special place then for God to say, David, do your waiting here. And surely David would have been reminded, I'm walking where Abraham walked. And Abraham was the one that God made a covenant with. And that was a thousand years ago. And the promises of God to Abraham are still being fulfilled. The cogs might turn slowly, but they do turn. And the promises of God might be fulfilled more slowly than we imagine our idea of slow. But they are fulfilled. And so as as David makes his way to Hebron, surely this is on his mind. God met with Abraham here. Abraham is buried here. God made the covenant. He promised him a son. He promised him a land. Here is the land. And God is keeping his promises. Surely he would have remembered Abraham and Sarah had been given a very clear promise by God that they would have a child. And given Sarah's age, they thought this was impossible. And she laughed. And after the promise, five years after the promise, there was still no child. And 10 years after the promise, there was no child. And 15 years after the promise, there was no child. And 20 years after the promise was given, there was still no child. And here we see and we stand in amazement, God, you work so slowly. But for Abraham and Sarah, it doesn't seem here like God likes slow motion. They were tempted to actually believe that God had stopped working. And that's the danger in our moments of waiting. That is the danger in our moments between promise and fulfillment, between prayer and between answer. God, I understand that you work slowly, but after so many years of waiting, how do we tell the difference between something that is slow and something that is actually stopped? And Abraham and Sarah believed then, we need to help God out here. We need to take this into our own hands. And in so doing, we realize that they cause nothing but trouble. The cogs of God's purposes might turn slowly, but they do not stop. Isaac was born. God did keep his promises. It might have been 25 years after the promise was given, but Isaac was born. And as David waits in this place called Hebron and he is there surrounded by the graves of these people and by the memories, the the, the things that he had learned from God's word of them, as each birthday passes in Hebron, David has this constant reminder that God's purposes might unfold slowly and they might be progress that happens in small ways and there might be a constant struggle but God's promises are sure to be fulfilled. The cogs may turn slowly but turn they do and turn they will and turn they must for God keeps his promises and neither the slowness nor the smallness nor the struggle will ever change that and David will live to see the day whenever that anointing that happened in 1 Samuel 16 and then was a small progress, he rules over one tribe will eventually turn into him ruling over all of them in the fulfillment. Of God's promise. Why then we might ask. Does God work like this? Why even give David a promise way back then. And keep him waiting so long. Why give Abraham and Sarah a promise? Why not wait and the day before. Say to him here's what I'm going to do. And then do it. Why does God do this? Well clearly God has wisdom and goodness. In everything he does. That he does not reveal to us. But is it possible, perhaps, that in doing things in slow motion, he gives us much opportunity to study and to see our own hearts? And in the slowness of it, we, we, we see a purifying of our motives even as we wait for God. James tells us, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James is telling us that in the slowness that you see God working outside in your circumstances, God is working through that slowness on the inside. He is letting patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In the process of our waiting, in the process of our trusting, in the process of our hoping for God's fulfillment, God is at work in us creating a people of faith and a people of hope and a people of confidence and a people who show this world we believe that our God will keep his word and we wait with confidence and we wait with a smile and we wait with assurance because the cogs might turn slow and the progress might be small and the struggle might be hard but we do know and we do believe that our God will at the end of the day in his good time keep his promise we find our hearts that they are being studied in slow motion if you like our motives are being purified our obedience is being purified our faith is being purified and we are emerging to believe God I have no evidence for this that my eye can see but I believe you and I trust that you will and of course as fascinating as It is to study the life of David. We realize David ultimately points us to a greater king. David lived approximately 1,000 years before the Lord Jesus. 1,000 years. And in every one of those years, God's people were longing and looking for the arrival of the promised Messiah for another 1,000 years. And every single one of those 365,000 days, God's people prayed and God's people longed for the Messiah to arrive. And The cog seemed to turn so slowly and the progress seemed to be so small and the struggle never ended. But one day, the angels announced his arrival, the son of David, as he's described in Matthew 1.1. 1, 1, was born, and it seems so small. How can a little baby be any meaningful progress in the defeat of Satan and sin and hell and the grave? It's just the birth of a baby, some thought. How can this little stable filled with the cries of a little baby be any significant progress towards the death of death and the conquering of Satan and hell and the great? It seemed so small. And there was a constant struggle. King Herod wanted and had the babies all killed to try and destroy the Lord Jesus. And Mary and Joseph had to flee into Egypt. The Lord Jesus was hated and eventually crucified. There is slowness in God's purposes. There is a smallness of progress in our eyes. And there is this ongoing struggle. And there the Lord Jesus hangs And he dies on the cross. And you and I are amazed that by means of the slow unfolding and the seeming smallness of the progress and the struggle that is happening, God has kept his promises and he has defeated Satan and he has atoned for our sins and he has conquered our death and he has brought victory over hell and the grave. And so when we study the life of David and we study what he is pointing to, the life of the Lord Jesus, we find that we can smile through our tears if you're like, God, your way seems so slow and the progress seems so small and the struggle seems so hard. But we know, God, that at the end of the day, you keep your promises and your promises will be fulfilled, every one of them without any failures. And even as we watch the gospel, as it begins to spread, don't we not look around the world and think, God, why does it proceed, progress so slowly? And why are the advances seemingly so small? And why is the struggle so hard that people literally die and give up their life and end up in the grave in their service for you? And yet here we are today. In Northern Ireland, thousands of years after the kingdom began as a mustard seed... And we are worshiping the lamb that was slain and we are joining brothers and sisters in their thousands and thousands and thousands around the world today who are doing the same. And for eternity, there will be a throng worshiping the lamb that was slain. God's ways might seem slow and the progress might seem small and the struggle might be hard, but God keeps his promises in the end. So if you're here this morning and you're in a waiting stage and the slowness or the smallness or the struggle, you're finding it particularly trying, then does not this passage encourage us to do our waiting at Hebron? Do our waiting by thinking of Abraham. He was given a covenant and the cogs turned awfully slow, but God has kept his promises. He gave them a promise of a child and the cogs turned slow, but baby Isaac was born. Or an even better place for us than Hebron to do our waiting is outside that empty tomb where we are reminded that God keeps his promises, for that tomb is empty. The Messiah was promised in Genesis and thousands of years passed. And many scoffed and said, you are silly to believe that that will ever happen. But while the cogs turn slow and the progress might be small and the struggle is real, the Messiah was born and he lived and he died and he rose again. And an empty grave is there to prove and to remind to us God keeps his promises. So if you're in a season of Waiting this morning, you can, I trust, be encouraged. Let that season of patient waiting do its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Whenever there is no visible evidence, we can walk with a smile and with a hope and with a confidence. Our God keeps his promises. Once again, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, visit our website portadineimc.org or find us on Facebook at portadineimc. God bless.